0: Welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. This is one of my favorite episodes of the Champs App Podcast. Today, we talk with Natalie Darwitz, who is currently the assistant coach with the Minnesota Golden Gophers women's hockey team and was elected to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame after an illustrious college and national team career. She goes into great detail about her youth hockey development and how she became an Olympic captain. Like I said, this is one of my favorite guests we've had, so I really hope you enjoy it. Before we get to our guests, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have on the Chance App podcast, Natalie Darwitz, who is currently the assistant coach with the Minnesota Golden Gophers women's hockey team. But what she is most known for is as a USA Hockey Hall of Famer, three-time Olympic medalist, captain of the U.S. women's national and Olympic hockey team, two-time NCAA national champion, and all-time points-per-game leader with the Golden Gophers, and finally, proud mama to Zachary and Joseph. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Natalie.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Ray.
0: I'm so honored and really delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, Why don't we start out, uh, learning a little bit more about how you got into the great game of hockey, starting out in St. Paul, Minnesota, and your My Little Pony Rollerblades.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, looking back to be the youngest of of three siblings, and uh, my brother, um, my older brother, Ryan, kind of was involved in hockey, and my sister being the oldest of the family. Um, was an athlete too, but back in that day, you know, tap dancing and and ballet and stuff like that were were kind of the norm for a female. Um, so being the youngest, naturally, I was carted around the rink. I had to choose which parent to to go with, either mom and sister to to tap dance or dad and Ryan to hockey. And kind of always gravitated towards going to the hockey rink and and uh, and running around the rink. So um you know my grandma uh bought me a a pair of my little pony roller skates at the time and um put them on and and put a stick in my hands and kind of the rest is history and kind of just stayed on my parents and was resilient and said when do I get to play hockey when do I get to play hockey and obviously there was a huge hesitation on my mom's part because no other girls were really playing hockey at that time uh it was pretty dominated by the the male gender and um, I just stayed on them and my mom and dad finally caved and said when I'm, when I turned five years old, uh, they'd sign me up and, and good thing is I was an October birthday. <laughs> so it, the the result happened pretty quickly of hockey, hockey season being right around the corner in the winter. So um, once I got on the ice at five, I mean, the rest is history. I just fell in love with it. It was um, first thing I woke up thinking about in the morning and the last thing on my mind before I hit the pillow at night. So It's just a passion of mine and I love to do it and and uh, really look forward to going to hockey whether that was at practice or just going in the driveway and and putting on the rollerblades and and skating around or going to the outdoor rink it just uh it was something that you know made my made my hands sweaty and and heartbeat faster.
0: And was it just, like, natural for you just to want to be doing that all the time? Or, like, did you explore other sports at the same time and then go, like, hockey is the one that I really want to be spending my time on? And when, when did that really become a reality? Was it really at five years old or was it, like, 9, 10, 11?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up playing the gamut of, of the sports. Yeah, you grew up as a, a kid playing, whether that's soccer, track, softball. You, you know, you name it. You kind of did the seasonal sports um, but for me, what stood out was hockey was the one I really looked forward to. Um, so that was, I knew there was a difference right from the get-go. I just, you know, just again, got a little bit more excited when hockey rolled around. Um, I love playing all, all different sports. And I honestly, looking back, it was a huge, I think, part of, of why I was a successful hockey player is because I was a well-rounded athlete and, and did different things. Um, but at the end of the day, hockey kind of always, you know, uh, spoke to my heart a little bit more than the other ones. Um, but I stuck out, I mean, as a young kid, I stuck out playing most sports. I was seasonal, you know, hockey in the winter, softball in the, in the spring and summer. And then, you know, sprinkling soccer in the fall and stuff like that. Um, but I think when I got, of got to the, the middle school air, like, like part of my life, that's when I kind of concentrated a little bit more on hockey and softball are my top two sports. Um, and then, you know, joining the high school team as a seventh grader, it kind of just took up a little bit more of my time. So I kind of just focused on those two sports. Um, and then in downtime, I played other sports, um, just casually and for fun with buddies, whether that was just going to the, the field and running around or playing soccer or golf or tennis. Um, I just I just love being active and, and, and playing other sports.
0: Gotcha. So when you were in grade seven is when it sounds like you started to take hockey seriously. Um, And so you must have been 11 or 12 at the time, I'm assuming. Um, And so at that time, about how many hours per week were you actually training for hockey or doing hockey related stuff?
1: Well, I mean, I always took hockey seriously. So (laughs) I just it kind of became a reality when I was in seventh grade that there was a pretty good future for me to do it. Yeah. as far as minutes trained or time trained, I honestly don't even know. Uh, some of it was obviously organized hockey and, and training and stuff like that. And the rest of the day it was I was choosing to do more. <laughs> Whether that was grab grab some buddies and go play roller hockey in our high school parking lot um, or shoot pucks in the driveway or, or play my brother one-on-one. Um, from that on, it was just me. I, I enjoyed to do it. I loved to do it. So it wasn't to me training or work or... Yeah. Uh, logging hours it was just like something I wanted to do in my in my in my time
0: so I, I will get into a little bit more about uh having your dad as a coach but um you know these days kids have a skating coach a shooting coach a, a strength and conditioning coach like what kind of coaching were you getting outside from your dad uh, at that time uh to kind of help improve all your your skill set
1: yeah I mean my, my dad coached me in the high school season and and obviously um if I asked him to come out and pass with me in the driveway, he certainly would. <laughs> um, and then there was probably, you know, my high school coach, Merlin Ravindalen, was a great um, a resource for me, too. But, uh, you know, he wasn't pushing me to do extra. That was something I just wanted to do on my own. As far as, like, the extra stuff, we always worked with a guy named in Minnesota who's a pretty prominent name. His name was Jack Blatherwick. And, um he kind of started this program called community Olympic development program for, for aspiring Olympians, females. And, uh, I loved him. And, um, you know, I think we did that in the off season a couple of times a week and worked out with him in, in the weight room and stuff like that. So he was kind of my main guy, but I didn't really have a skate coach or shooting coach. Uh, we just kind of did it yeah. <laughs> on our own. And, uh, I think that's the coolest thing and the best way to do it is we just kind of became rink rats and, learn hockey IQ and to shoot the puck faster and learn moves by going out there and doing it kind of trial and error. So yeah, now it's, it's different. There's a market for a skating coach, a shooting coach, a video coach, this and that to help your resources. But at the end of the day, I think for the top players and myself, we wanted to go do that stuff on our own. Uh, We didn't necessarily need somebody critiquing us. We were just like, well, that toe drag didn't work or that worked. Um, and we just kind of were trial and error, and and out there being kind of rink rats. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: All right, and obviously your skating was pretty good because you were playing with the boys. And I believe a quote from your dad was, uh, "They can't hit you if they can't catch you." So, how important was skating to your development? And then we'll get into your scoring in a second.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're skating is your bread and butter. If you can't get to the puck and be as efficient as you can on your skates, you're gonna not get there quick, and then be really tired when you do. So. You know, I kind of it's cheesy, but I kind of equate skating to a sports car. They're efficient, they're quiet, they're fast. Um, If you're if you're good on your skates, it's kind of the same thing. We don't want to be a semi truck out there, wide turns, you know, heavy feet. Um, So for me, skating was really important. Um, You know, I'll be honest with you, some of it came natural um, by just being a rink rat and working on it and 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 setting that foundation. Um, You know, later in my career. Diane Ness is a really good skating coach in Minnesota and nationally. And she works with the Minnesota Wild and actually used to work with our um, 2010 Olympic team. She was the first time I ever had a skating coach. And I'll be honest with you, I I learned quite a bit and realized like I I could always better my skating. So, you know, I think uh, it's super important to just, again, that's your bread and butter. You got to get to the puck fast and as efficiently as possible without burning a whole lot of energy. Um, so I think that's probably the the biggest focus of of young hockey players to work on, because um, that's going to just set the the tone for the rest of your career, where it's really hard to change those habits once you kind of set them.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, so obviously you're a very good uh, skater, but you were also a phenomenal scorer, um, and uh, both both goals and assists. You you didn't uh, discriminate between the two. So um, you talked about trial and error um, as a kid of just trying things out on the pond or in the in, in you know, with with your friends doing one on one. So, what what made you such a good scorer? Was it just practice, 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 or you know, was it natural? Because um, uh, there's there's a couple coaches that uh, that I've spoken to on this podcast who who played on the Olympic team who said, "Be honest with you, I was just really good at it." So, uh, <laughs> what what what's, what was your perspective on on your success of, of actually being a prolific uh, point getter?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I, I think the end result was obviously to could you score, could you set up a player, but I think so often we focus on goals and assists. It's the process of getting there. So for me, um, you know, my, my coach obviously growing up, who I mentioned before, Jack Blatherwick, he said something to me that just resonated my entire career is, he said, Natalie, every time you hop over the boards or you're at a face-off, you either need to think about, you need to be the most dominant player on that shift. And if you're at a face-off, you want the kid lined up across from you to go, oh crap, I have to go against <laughs> Natalie. So that was my mentality. So if I brought that mentality to every shift, my chances of scoring, obviously, were higher. My percentage of scoring was higher in those games. So to me, dominance means do I have the puck on my stick? Am I winning board battles? Am I coming out with the corner with the puck? Um, Am I flying around with the puck in open ice? Um, am I winning draws? Am I hitting my open player and then joining the play? So for me, it was more about what is the process I need to do and how do I want to play? And that will bleed into hopefully an end result that I'll get on the score sheet and help my team out.
0: And and so in all of your years of playing hockey, did you ever have the center across from you say, oh, crap? <laughs> <laughs> did I, you ever hear them say that all, out loud?
1: Maybe not <laughs> out loud, but maybe hopefully in their heads there. Um, but, you know, um, on the ice, sometimes you, you look the other center forward in the eyes on a draw and you can tell or their demeanor. Um, so it's for me, that was my thing. It was like, could I focus on the process and every shift be the most dangerous player I could be? Whether that was D zone, neutral zone, or offensive zone, I wanted to make an impact. And I think so often we can get wrapped up into how many points and how many this and that and, and stats. We go watch a hockey game and we can tell I want that kid who comes out of the corner with the puck. I don't care how big or small she is; it doesn't matter. I want that player who comes out of the corner with the puck because she has that innate tenaciousness, uh, that grit, that competitive level that you want in players.
0: And and we didn't talk about this earlier, but um, for folks who don't know, you're only five foot three, and in the three Olympics that you played on, there was only one player who was actually shorter than you in all those teams. By the way, do you know who that player was?
1: I'm going to go with Erica Lawler.
0: You got it. Five foot right. one in 2010. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so when you talk about coming out of the puck, it doesn't matter how big they are. Obviously with your size, you were coming out with the puck quite a bit um, and it didn't matter how big you were.
1: Yep. That's that's the goal. And, you know, obviously Erica, you just mentioned she played the same way and uh, who cares if she's five foot nothing or whatever. Like she was an absolute pit bull in the corners um, and came out with the puck against somebody who was like, you know, six foot, 200 pounds. So. That's, that's all that matters, really. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay,
0: so uh, you went to Egan High School. Your dad was the coach. So tell us what it was like playing for your dad. And then were there any times where he made your life difficult because he wasn't happy with how you were playing?
1: Yeah, I, I love my dad. I'm uh, super, looking back at my career, super grateful and fortunate that I, I got that time with my dad. I mean how cool is that you got to go to your the rink and do something you love every day with your father. Um, there's a bond there that will last a lifetime because of that, you know. So, you know, talk about going through the trenches, highs and lows. Um, you know, we were together doing that for, you know, five, six, seven years um, of him, co- him coaching my high school team. And then obviously just being with him, being my dad and, and going out and, and playing shinny hockey and stuff like that. Um, So it was super, super grateful. Um, There was a little bit of a a buffer at times. Um, You know, If he coached primarily D and I was a forward. Um, So there was that buffer at at some times where he always wasn't in my ear, which I think it was a good thing too. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, I was such a competitor that I I wanted to do my best. And my dad really never got on me or yelled at me. It was if I wasn't playing well or I was doing – Making some stupid plays, he didn't have to say a whole lot. It was just a look of <laughs> I knew. And um, the last thing I want is number one to not play some of the best of my ability. Number two, I'd never want to disappoint my dad. And I knew the times where I was disappointing him, whether it because I wasn't working hard enough or uh, just being a, a, a dummy. Uh, he just had to give me that look. Um, but I do remember early on in in my in my youth career, I think I was was a peewee and we were playing a summer hockey game and he happened to be the coach of that team or one of the coaches and I just was stupid and I like retaliated and was just being an idiot right and he sat me for a few shifts and I was just peeled and I was mad at him and then uh he finally let me back out and I scored (laughs) scored the game-winning goal um So I feel like I kind of redeemed myself a little bit, but he just said after the game, never do that again. And that was a really great lesson to me and, and uh, set me straight for the rest of my career. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. gotcha. So uh, you you talk about, uh, you know, tournament as a youth player. What is your best youth hockey memory?
1: You know, just growing up with the the boys on, on the boys teams, just, um, you know, just a lot of people always ask me, like, how was it in the locker room and, I have to give so much credit and respect to the the guys I grew up playing with. They didn't treat me like a girl. I was their teammate. Um, And that was just so fun to just walk into the locker room and they were my buddies and I I was theirs. And, you know, now that we're old and gray and and I run into some of the guys or some people I played against, they were just like, man, at the time, we wanted to crush you, but you were so good or it was so tough to play against you. And um, I don't think I would have been the player that I – Grew up being if I didn't start out playing with the guys, I really don't. Uh, they taught me so much, and um, really it was because of that foundation that I was able to to grow in my career with on the women's side. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: And you you mentioned him a little bit earlier. I, I think you mentioned uh, Merlin Ravdalin as was one of your coaches. Yep. Um, so who's Coach R, and why is he your favorite coach? Because I believe I heard you mentioned him somewhere as being one of your favorite coaches.
1: You know, he was just a very a fun guy, a fun, fun coach to play for. He made going to the rink really enjoyable and fun. He made things fun. Obviously, he demanded a work ethic and accountability. But at the same time, um, you know, he, he the, the game is supposed to be fun. And, and he made it that way. And I just have a, just a lot of respect for, for him as a coach and his past and just how he treats players and, and coaches his teams. He was just a really stand-up character person that I just, I just loved going to the rink for him and, and uh, always had a great contagious energy on the ice that was positive. Um, but at the same time, I, I love coaches that are willing to make you grow and hold you accountable and push you out of your comfort zone, and, and that's what he did. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's
0: move on to kind of moving past high school. So you are the youngest player to be selected to the national team at age 15. So if there are parents out there with a 15 year old daughter, whose daughter hasn't made the U S national team by 15, are they a disappointment?
1: No, (laughs) no, you know, times have changed. I don't know if a 15 year old is going to make a national team just because the game has grown and the depth, has, the depth of the game has gotten so great. So, you know, timing for me was, um, it just worked out, you know. Um, but, you know, now I just look at the opportunities women's hockey players are getting, they're playing longer, you know. Um, a lot of the longevity of, of women's hockey players back when I was playing, is after college they were done. And now you're seeing Brianna Decker's and Kendall Coins, you know, play into their high twenties, and so just times have changed, and so when players are playing longer, obviously it's going to be harder to crack that lineup. But certainly there's a player on the national team right now, Caroline Harvey. Was that Caroline Harvey? Caroline Harvey, who's 18 years old, who obviously made the team. So, you know, there there are some exceptions, and there and the cool thing is, is uh, that's great to see is is Team USA or Team Canada or whoever it may be are going to take players who feel that they can compete and impact their team in a positive way.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so let, let, let's talk about a little bit more about that, being such a young player on the team. So we've had, you know, some of your former teammates like Katie King-Crowley, Shelly Looney, um, and then specifically uh, Janelle Zog, Sergey, and Lindsay Fry talked about the stress of making their first Olympic team. So how stressful was it for you to make the 2002 Salt Lake team?
1: Um, you know, obviously it's, it's intense and uh, there's a lot at stake, um, for, for and it's nerve wracking. Um, for me, it was just a matter of, you know, I was on the team for three years, three, three years prior. Um, so I kind of knew my role. So for me, it was like, I just had to continue to do that at tryouts and, and I feel like I had a pretty good opportunity, um. And again, my mentality is every time I want to hop on the ice, I want to be the best player on the ice. And so I kind of went into that mentality of the Olympics of like, I want to be like rated the number one, number two, number three player here. Um, and that was my mentality my entire career. So honestly, I was more nervous for like teammates I had on on my team who I wanted to make the team and, and get a shot. So I was not being egotistical or anything like that, but it, I just knew if I played my game, I would, I would be on that team.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And and for folks who don't know, you finished second in scoring on the U.S. team uh, in 2002. So it probably wasn't a surprise to you that you made the team, given that you, leading up to that, you were, you were probably uh, up there in the scoring on the team already. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I was blessed to play with Cammy and Granato and Tristie Wendell that, that mostly that entire year. So that was just a whole lot of fun.
0: Right, we're going to get back to Chrissy Wendell in a moment when we talk about your time in Minnesota, but I got one question for you about the Olympics. So for folks who don't know, you you got three medals out of it. Unfortunately, um, none of them were gold. So, But you you had done so well against Canada in basically all three of those Olympic years leading up to them playing against the, uh, the Canadian team. So here's my question. Should the gold medal in the Olympics just be a two-week best-of-seven series with Canada and have all the other countries play for bronze, except for unless Finland happens to be pretty good one year, um, and would it be the best way to grow the fan base of women's hockey by doing that and, and if it was best of seven you know how many gold medals do you think you would have by now
1: <laughs> um you know to, to take off a politically politically correct hat um and talk as a, a competitor who uh was in those three olympics absolutely seven game series with canada you know and you're always going to get the other side of the fence of well does that grow the sport does that help the other countries
0: until they get, get good. Until they can I prove that they're that. that good. That's what I'm yeah,
1: saying. I get that. But the our countries bring out the best in each other. It's the highest level of hockey. It's your zen. Um, so, yeah, I would have loved a seven-game series. In 2002 especially, I mean, we ran the table pre-Olympic. I think we were 7-0 and o leading up to Salt Lake Olympics. Then it comes down to one game, right? Um so that one game we had, we just – we probably had a B-level game. We didn't have our best game. But if we had six more games to get a crack at it, would the result – would have been different? I hope so. I don't know speaking, yeah,
0: if the past was a predictor of the future, yeah, then it the exactly. yes, for sure. Yep. Yes, yeah. Yep. Right.
1: Um, so, yeah, I do think – and I do think – The fans want to see the best hockey possible, so would they rather see Canada and the U.S. beat the absolute daylights out of each other every single game and have a hard-fought competitive game? I personally would versus the U.S. team beat another country by a few goals or, or a larger margin.
0: I think it'll be the best possible thing for women's hockey, seven, seven games in the Olympics. Yeah. That would just grow the sport because every, every game people would be watching at, like, the highest level in, in North America for sure. And even in the other countries, just so they go, like, why can't we be like them? All right. Let me um, move over to uh, – let's talk about University of Minnesota. So you're one of the few players who played in the Olympics before going to college, kind of like Kayla Barnes. We talked about Caroline Harvey so um and you chose university of minnesota because as i understand you not a lot of choices back then in terms of what your options were because minnesota wisconsin wasn't as good as it is now um as as a school so and plus you're from st paul so you probably want to stay close to home i know you're a bit of a homebody um so my question to you is was it a big step down now having to play college hockey like like you know, most people who are used to playing at the highest level have trouble playing at a lower level, um, you know, for extended periods of time because it can be frustrating. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's obviously, like you said, it's it's uh, pretty unique to do that. Not many, not many players do that. Uh, myself and Chrissy Wendell were fortunate enough to go through that process with her because she was doing the same exact thing um, at the University of Minnesota. So. Um, yeah, to go back to colleges and, and picking them. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I grew up here and, and uh, watch the guys team on on TV every Friday and Saturday night and kind of it's ingrained in you to, to, to be where the murder and gold and everything. So um, making that decision was kind of a no brainer to stay close to home and have my, my family be able to watch because um, the Olympic year was, was tough. I mean, we were usually in upstate New York training and playing and uh, didn't get to see that whole much. So that just reconfirmed to me that I wanted to stay home. Yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, coming back and feel like I'm playing down the level, um, I don't know if that necessarily was the case. Um, because we were the Gophers at that time coming back with a few Olympians. Everybody was gunning for us. We had a target on our back. So we had to play our best game every single night. Not only that is... Again, my mentality is, is can I be the best player on each shift, right? So that's how I I went at it is just saying, okay, I might be at a little bit of a different level with the people I'm playing with and against, but I want to still be the most dominant player. How do I do that? Um, So obviously logged a little bit more ice time and and, and stuff like that. But um, I love college. It was a time, actually, I was looking forward to it because – you know, for the last few years of my life, I was playing on the Olympic team or national team with players that ranged in age of 17 to, you know, 30. Yeah. So now it was quite refreshing to go back and do a setting where I was around players and people of my same age range. And to me, that was a part of life I was craving again.
0: Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So um, at the time, uh, after your first three years at uh, Minnesota, you were the all time leading scorer for the since a couple of folks have eclipsed it. But you got 246 points in only 99 games. So roughly 2.5 points per game. So but my real question is I have two questions is why did you only play 26 games in your sophomore year? Otherwise, you would have a heck of a lot more points and you you would have reached 100 games at least. And then I'll, I'll follow that up after you answer that question with another question related to your stats.
1: You know, a lot has changed. I like obviously I'm a coach there now, and these these guys play 35 games regular season. I don't think we did that. Uh, uh, but Chris,
0: Chrissy Wendell played 10 more games than you do. So you you had you had yeah, 10 less games. Yeah, my sophomore
1: year I had an yeah. injury.
0: So. Uh, that's what I was wanting to know. In your sophomore year, exactly.
1: yeah, I was uh, I tore ligaments and tendons in my like elbow area. We were playing against Duluth at up there, and. I just ran into a player wrong, um, played the rest of the game. And, Ugh. and afterwards, like my elbow just like ballooned up on me and I knew it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> so again, I was super fortunate though. Cause quite honestly, it should have been a season ending injury. And I was just really diligent about my rehab and, and my trainer at the time Amy Hamilton was amazing and stayed on me and, And uh, I just did everything I was supposed to do and more with it. And and I came back after 10 games. So I actually was really lucky. Um, Even the doctor was like, this normally doesn't happen. So I got super lucky there. Um, So, yeah, I missed 10 games and then made it back for the end of the year. And, And... Going on the to national the national championship. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so
0: probably the big difference between you guys yeah. making, winning the national championship was your recovery, basically. So
1: Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I'm glad that it worked out that way.
0: I'm going to bet a nickel it was. All right. <laughs> and so my other question related to your stats was, so you played 99 games and you had 98 PIMs. So you were no shrinking violet on the ice. Um, you know, what was, what kind of player were you if you were getting basically one minute per game uh, when, when you
1: are uh, I had 98 penalty minutes.
0: 98 penalty minutes I'm oh my assuming. gosh yeah I know, I'm
1: a, geez, that was a hack I guess um
0: uh, Chris Chrissy Wendell had a little bit more than you but not by much <laughs> so I did check that you do that's you two funny. are competitive I had,
1: no idea I had that many penalty minutes yeah that's a minute a game that's a penalty a game eh
0: but at five um, foot three you were you were you were you were not the, you were not I'm afraid sure, to go into the corners
1: you know what I'll chalk it up to I think back in that day a lot of penalty minutes were like we had the puck on our stick and we we're getting hacked and slashed and whacked and they would fall over, and we would get like in trouble for it.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, right. chalk
1: okay. it up to that. <laughs>
0: all right, last uh, playing at Minnesota question. Um, so you, you obviously uh, bookended your time in uh, at University of Minnesota by playing in the Olympics. Uh, what was your decision making around not going back to play a fourth year, even though you went back to finish your degree?
1: Yeah, that you know it was still a decision I, I question every day. Um, you know, 2005, 2006, we had to take a year off for the Olympics in Torino. And that was a really, really, really tough year mentally and physically. Um, you know, that was the year we started out our our tryouts and um, Cammy Granado and Shelley Looney were, were cut. Um, and it just kind of snowballed into the rest of the year. Now, if you ask that question of a seven-game series with Canada that year, yeah. I don't know. I think we, we may get swept. Um, it just, it just wasn't a tough year. So it was just a grind for me mentally and physically. And I was just questioning like, do I want to continue on to play hockey? Um, cause the fire was kind of going out the competitive fire. And so, um, I chose not to go back and, and go to the Gophers. I was just like, you know what? I need some me time and, and figure this out. In retrospect, obviously I, I, I think college years are your best years of your life. And I do regret that. However, that decision and taking time off led me to reflect and go, wait a minute, I do miss hockey. I do want to continue to go. And so that time off propelled me to go another four years to 2010. Gotcha. Gotcha. A little bit of of hindsight into that. And, um, you know, again, I don't know if I could go back and do that decision differently because I don't know if i then I would've got the same result.
0: So, but do you still have a year of eligibility? Is that is that what you're saying? So you can right. still go. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we should talk to uh, Coach we Brad. Uh, weekend against Wisconsin, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Player <laughs> All coach. All right. right.
0: All right. Now let's let's move into transitioning into to coaching. So, um, you 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 started off your coaching career after you retired to uh, I believe helping out uh, University of Minnesota as an assistant coach, or while you were still training. Um, so. Uh, and then you, you went and helped out your dad back at Egan High School. Um, so, like, many top players struggle to become coaches, you know, uh, because a lot of what they did was natural. You know, being able to communicate to other players, here's how to think about it, here's what to do. How, come they, how have you been able to make that transition so successful?
1: You know, when I uh, – I, I didn't get into coaching because I wanted to do my dad kind of – I think he saw the – what could possibly be in me. Uh, and so he kind of twisted my arm and said, hey, just just Come for one day a week, and then it turned into a couple days a week, then it turned into I was there every day. And what I found was actually it helped my, it helped me in my playing game as well. So I just saw things differently from the bench. Now I had to communicate them. I couldn't hop over the boards and do it myself. Um, I had to learn um, good communication skills, how to communicate differently to different players. And so it just – it bled over into me now – in in the later years of my career being a leader on that team. And honestly, I don't think I would have been became a captain of team USA if I didn't get into coaching when I did, because it really really helped me relate and build relationships um, in the locker room with my teammates because I had to do now start being vocal and communicate with, with coaching. So I really think that it was just looking back at my career. It was just, a, a thing that happened that propelled me to the next level. Um, so so I, I heard,
0: I'd heard on a previous podcast that up until that point, you, you were more of a leader by example. And now you're yeah. saying that you, you then more focused now on actually being more verbal and helping, um, you know, develop other players at, and bringing them along with you. Is, is, is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, most of my career, I just was like, I just got to go do, go do my thing. Right. If I can take care of my business, I'm going to help the team. And it just, just turned to, wait a minute here, I'm not making much of an impact on others if I'm not bringing them along with me. And so I just really got out of my shell. I'm very introverted by nature. I, I don't like to speak up a whole lot. Um, and it got me out of my shell. Um, coaching got me out of my shell to now how do I communicate with, with coaching? And that brought me along to my teammates of like, hey, how can I bring you up and, and increase your game as well? Um, and I think that was kind of just the, the aha moment that went off in my head. And it's probably why I became a leader on that team or voted captain. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So, um, let's talk a little bit about your coaching, um, uh, kind of trajectory so you helped out your dad for a couple of years you then coached your own high school team in Minnesota for a couple of years and then you spent up until this season several years at Hamline University as the head coach of the division three program and you really took them to new heights you want to just talk about your experience there and what you learned while you're at Hamline
1: yeah um you know the Hamlin job was great I it, it, it like many things in life it uh it came to me I think if once you're ready for the next step, I think the door's open. So the AD approached me six years ago and, and I really didn't have an interest. Um, I was happy with high school hockey and it's fun here and stuff like that. But, um, the thought of being able to build something from scratch, um, was a huge challenge to me and, and something that I was kind of hungry for. And so I decided to take that job and another blessing happened where, um, my assistant coach at Hamlin, Jake Bobrowski, Uh, we just honestly clicked and, 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 and saw the game alike, um, but yet have different strengths. And we use those strengths to better our team. And, and then I got to coach another few years with my dad as the D coach. So it was really a great opportunity to start something from from scratch, and that we certainly did. The first year, the, the team we had, we inherited. Um, and it was cool because we saw significant growth out of them, you know. They won more games that year than they ever had in the, the previous four or something like that. Um, and then we just now by recruiting we got to we got to build our own program and we started the following year with fourteen recruits and then the following year brought in more be- more recruits but but better ones. Yeah. And, and by year three we really only had I think one player from the last coach. Um, so it was starting to be our program and in, in year three we won a Mayak championship and, and went to the Frozen Four. And, and got third place. So it just it happened really fast. Um, but I think the D3 level allowed us to build it fast. And, um, and it was just a whole lot of fun. And then adding on moving into Trier rink with the Minnesota wild play and, and the stands being packed and the buzz around our program. When, when we went to that program, I mean, people didn't know that Hamlin had a women's hockey program. And the, the time when we left, people knew that at Hamlin they had a really good women's hockey program. <laughs> uh, that's what they were known for. So we certainly left that place in a better spot than when we found it. It was a super tough decision to honestly leave Hamlin this, this, this summer and, and go to the University of Minnesota. But at the end of the day, I think um, our blood just, just is, gets, gets, gets good. And uh, we want to be around players of the top level and caliber. Um, so going to the rink right now with the University of Minnesota and, and those players who want to create, want to get better, crave to get better, uh, it's just a joy to coach them. I and no, it's not to say that the players at Hamlin didn't, but we're around players that are world class and who are have aspirations to play in the Olympics.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, so b- before we get to Minnesota, because uh, we need to talk about uh, you know your current uh, uh, school and where and your alma mater. Um, but my my question for you is. Um, you talk about having, making the players better, uh, over time. What have you done over the last year to become a better coach?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you always got to be evolving and learning and growing. And, um, I think as coaches, you're constantly put in adverse situations where you have to, I think if you stay the same, um, if you have the same way of thinking, if you're not getting outside your comfort zone, I think the game and the players are going to pass you by, um, I think the, the biggest transition for me from going to Hamlin to here is at Hamlin, I was the head coach and now I'm, I'm back as an assistant coach. And so um, what normally I would have the reins to like, Oh, wait a minute, we need to do this better. I have to, I have to go to Brad and, and, and share those thoughts and be on the same page as him. And, and there might be days where he disagrees or I don't agree with what he says, but at the end of the day, we got to put the best product on the ice and, and do the best we can. So I think that's probably the, the biggest transition. Um, but every day I feel like I'm, I'm pushing myself to grow as a, as a coach and a person. And I think that's really important to um, our players and our program and the, and the players that we coach. The other thing, it's building relationships, I think, are, are absolutely crucial. I think if the players know that they care, you care about them, you have confidence in them, um you can help them do it i think they're the sky's the limit for them so that's just something that i feel that very strongly about is is i want the players that i coach to know that i care about them and want the best for them at the same time i'm going to push them in a way that's going to get them out of their comfort zone but it's for the betterment betterment of them
0: gotcha okay great so um now you're back at university of minnesota for second time as a coach third time when you consider your playing career um how has Ritter Arena changed in the uh, almost 20 years since you helped open it up uh, back in 2002
1: yeah it's uh it's, it's crazy that um I was there when we opened it up and and just that place now has nostalgia it has history right there's ba- you can look in your backdrop there's a lot of banners hanging um a lot a lot of all Americans on the wall Olympians on that far wall um it's just a special, unique place, and dedicated to women's hockey only. I think the only other place in the country right now is Lebon, and and maybe in Wisconsin if I'm if I'm correct, that is dedicated only to women's hockey. So um, it certainly has an intimidation factor walking in there at the banners and the history and um, the 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 pride that's in that rink. And um, you know, I'm biased. I'm from Minnesota, but I, I feel like we have a good hockey hotbed in our backyard and. And uh, there's certainly an atmosphere no matter if you're playing a bottom team or a top team, there's certainly an atmosphere in Ritter when you play there.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, related to that, Brad Frost has been there quite a long time. So uh, what makes him such a good coach? He just signed an extension uh, just uh, about a month ago. Uh, what makes him such a great coach?
1: Well, I think we talked about it before is like, yeah, you know, I think he cares a whole lot. Um, I think his players knows that, that he cares Um, And so I think that's just going to translate into the players playing hard and and playing hard for you. So um, obviously he knows this hockey well. And and, uh, again, it's about, you know, he always says it's about giving the players an experience. And I I think with the resources at the University of Minnesota and uh, the hockey culture and, and the background that the University of Minnesota has, that certainly provides that experience. Gotcha.
0: gotcha. And, and um, let's talk about the, the rest of the staff. Um, Joel Johnson and Bethany Browson uh, moved over to St. Thomas. We had Bethany on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, and so uh, not only did you come over from Hamlin, you also brought uh, – or, or – uh, who also came with you was, I guess, Jake Bobrowski, who's also now an assistant coach from, from Hamlin. Um, so a lot of chemistry, obviously, going on here between we, between the three of you. And not only are you guys from Minnesota, 19 out of 25 of your players are from Minnesota. So what's with all the players from Minnesota? And does anybody from outside Minnesota really have a chance at playing <laughs> at Minnesota?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I don't think anyone was expecting quite the musical chairs of, of coaching staff changes this, this summer. Um, you know, as I stated, I, I was happy at Hamlin, and so was Jake, and we were looking forward to possibly vying for a national championship at the D3 level. And then, you know, St. Thomas' job kind of, we, we, you know, they moved on from their old coach and wanted a new coach, and, and that was Joel, and then Bethany went along with them, and that opened up two assistant spots at the U, and... You know, when Brad initially approached me, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. But I got another good person in mind for the other, other assistant role. And uh, I'm glad he was open enough to take a look at Jake. And And I think now being uh, half half of the way in through our season, um, Jake's been an awesome addition as well. So, um, but as far as, you know, uh, majority of our roster being for Minnesota, that's simply, and I'm a product of it, you grow up wanting to be a gopher. I mean you're watching it on TV it's a huge presence in our state you open the paper there's write ups about the the hockey team and um, you know and the history of the program certainly speaks for itself so I think we naturally draw Minnesota players and we have to continue that obviously now there's a lot more uh, options and, and really good options to go play hockey at other schools and you know now that's whether that's a couple miles away or you know a couple hour drive away there's there's a lot of top schools around us. And so the competition has gotten greater uh, at the same time that in- makes us more competitive to, to go get those top Minnesota players. We want to get, if we can, the top Minnesota players that we can to come to the University of Minnesota. Now we're not biased. Um, if there's other players uh, in the country or in other countries that we feel would impact our program and our culture of our team, we're certainly going to go after those players.
0: I believe you do have a couple of Canadians that you let in uh, on, on yeah, the program. Yeah, we let them in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll be candid with you. I I probably only asked a half the questions that I want to ask you because you can. You're just like a fountain of information and insight. Um, but uh, I do need to start wrapping up. Uh, can we talk about a little bit about the recruiting process, um, where things are at today? given the COVID, the fifth year eligibility, all that kind of stuff, um, where things stand. I know you've had a couple of decommits, which is uh, a little bit shocking from Minnesota, but yet you do have a pretty full roster and you already have, I believe, eight commits for 2022 and 2023 already uh, listed on the uh, College Commits website. So where are you guys at with uh, how you're thinking about recruiting and what are some of the challenges that you're seeing because of uh, what's gone on with all the rule changes in the COVID situation?
1: Yeah, obviously COVID presented its own kind of whether you want to look at it as, as an obstacle or opportunity um, we're going to use it as an opportunity. I, I feel like we have a strong um, senior, you know, senior class this year. And, you know, if those players are eligible to come back for a fifth year and impact the team, I think that's step one. Um, you know, the next step is, is um, you know, it's hard because other, other schools and you saw a lot of transfers, uh, you know, from bouncing around just to go to school for a year and play their COVID year. So... Um, it's it's kind of been crazy and funky in the world when in in the college hockey transfer portal, but um, you know we want players at Minnesota that believe in maroon and gold. Um, it, there's a two way street. Obviously, you're valued, you know, good hockey players and the character you have. At the same time, this is a really prestigious program, um, and we want you to come in and be a part of that program and to add to it, not be an eye in that program. So um i think that just there's been a little bit of a culture shift probably in the last few months that it's really important that um you put the program first and care about this program and we're going to conduct ourselves in that way so uh not one person is bigger than the team and and that's how we are are you know staying in the locker room and and that's what we want that product to be on the ice is we want you to be able to see wow this gopher team plays you know, because they want the puck, they don't want to lose a battle, they're gritty, they're hardworking, they play with heart. That's really important to us. Um, and so as far as recruiting, we want to continue that trend and, and get those, those players that want to continue that and to play that way. And, you know, there's, there's times where, unfortunately, really good hockey players, that might not be what they're looking for. And so they might go elsewhere. Um, So at the end of the day, it's really important for us that we're getting those players that want to bleed maroon and gold and wear that M on their chest. That is the number one thing.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So I do, I do need to wrap up two quick questions. One, what advice do you have for uh, players and parents who are kind of still not yet committed, but still want to play D1, um, especially for goalies where there really just aren't a lot of spots for uh, folks who are, who are eligible to, to, to commit at this point. Um, so that'll be my, my, my second to last question, my penultimate question.
1: Yeah. And that goes along with COVID. I think COVID has made it hard for the players of this graduating year, next graduating year because of the COVID rules of having a fifth year. So there's limited spots. Um, so a couple things, stick with it. I mean, um, don't feel like you're ever bugging a coach or a team. Send send the, those coaching staffs an email, send videos, um, stick with it. You know, there might have to be, if you really strongly want to play D1, you might have to take a gap year um, and, and coming as a freshman the following year, just because of the roster spots and, and everything. So um, I would say those are would be my two biggest things to just stick with it and, and to make sure that you're getting your name out there and along with some video to back it up. Um, is just super important.
0: Awesome, awesome. Okay, last, uh, last question. Uh, where can folks uh, learn more about the program specifically? I know you guys have camps. Are you going to have camps next summer? Is that a great way to just get on your radar and really see you up close?
1: Yeah, I believe uh, Brad runs a few few camps. Um, uh, I re- feel bad, but I don't have the, the email um, knowledge to share with, that, with, with you with that. But if you could go on the U- University of Minnesota, gophersports.com website, I believe there's a link in there to, to find out when we have those camps. Um, not only that, is, um, I got two young ones at home. I run a lot of mite um, and squirt clinics, uh, do, private, do small group lessons with kids of the appropriate age that I can work with. Um, and then, uh, we'll be host, running some other clinics as well in the area. One of them is a youth hockey hub clinic that's at Ritter arena as well. Awesome. Um, so we're certainly out there, um, and we're seeing, and we want to, we love working with, uh, young, young athletes and, and sharing our knowledge with them to hopefully get them better.
0: Oh, gotcha. I, 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 sorry. I do have one last question. Are you able to bring your dog to work at the uh, university of Minnesota? <laughs>
1: Oakley, yeah, Oakley, well, I sneak her in there every now and then. She's, I mean, dogs make the world a better place. I don't think one person like has a frown on their face when they see a dog. So, uh, she makes some some appearances here and there. All right,
0: cool. Awesome. Well, Natalie, I really want to thank you so much. This has like really been outstanding. You're just learning from your experience and your advice. It's just been outstanding. So thank you so much for taking the time to share it with all, with everybody. And I know I'm going to be getting direct messages saying like this was one of the best episodes that we've had. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: It's um, absolutely my pleasure. And, and if I can help in any way, um, just you know, my email is easily available on the U of M website as well.
0: I really want to thank Natalie for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear all about what made her one of the best U.S. hockey players to play the game, the mentality she had every time she stepped on the ice, and how she has transitioned into being a top college coach. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better, if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.